welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby, Life After Downton. This time we are discussing My Brilliant Friend, the recent series on HBO, and we will be spoiling a little bit of the books and the show. I'm Brandi Sperry in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So we talked a little bit off mic about who was going to be the hater this week. So if anyone listening wants to take a moment to predict, just think in your head who you think might be the hater. Surprise, it's not me. (laughs) (laughs) For once. I mean, I feel like we've actually had a couple where Shannon wasn't the hater. Like, like, I feel like 2018 was like your year of, you know, seeing the positive side of things. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I I, I walked into this podcast being like, this is really weird. I'm going to be the one that's going to be like, this is good, guys. (laughs) But I also feel like the key difference is I read the books. And, you know, I think that's something we're going to go back to is like, what's the experience like reading this versus seeing it? Because I I do feel like this is one of those stories that feels very different in the different mediums. Yeah. So the spoiler there is that we uh, we kind of have two haters tonight. In this. All, <laughs> all of us who aren't Shannon. <laughs> but but we're very we're very excited to talk about it. And um, I I feel like watching it I did really feel like I that I if I had read the books I would have such a deeper sense and understanding of what's going on under the surface which I just did not have coming to it completely cold yeah. so yeah I think that's a really good point and I'm actually looking forward to you Shannon talking more about how the books are written and constructed compared to the series you know, really why I read these books is because I kept hearing from so many women of like, you have to read the Neapolitan novels. You have to read the Neapolitan novels. Like, I feel like it was really a sensation of like, I can't remember another story of adult women's fiction that it was passed around as much and talked about as much. You know, it kind of had a little bit of that fervor close to Harry Potter, but not so crazy. But I mean, it really was and you got to read this book. And so I, I read them all right in a row. Um, and I feel like for a year there is all I heard about was like, did you read those novels? So I was shocked you guys hadn't read it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was aware of them. And I had been told several times to read them. But in, in a way that I thought, no, I'm never reading these books. Which, right. so okay. I just get to where I'm like, if one more person tells me to read this book, like, I just... I don't want to anymore. <laughs> yeah. That, right. but, you know, I'm evangelical about other books that I know I drive people crazy with. I love the Outlander books, for example, speaking of lady books, you know, and I have driven people crazy with that. And also driven people crazy who watch the series and haven't read the books because I'm just like, oh, but you don't know this and this and this and this. So I get it. Right. That was me with Sharp Objects. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, you know, we all have our thing. Um, But I think part of why I was disappointed is totally my own fault, which is that for some reason I thought this series was going to be all four books in eight episodes. And so I'm like waiting for them to be adults. And at the end of season, (laughs) the end of episode two, they're still little kids. And I'm like, I think I have some false information. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's four books. And, you know, you see the flash forward in the beginning of, you know, uh, Elena older, you know, getting this call about Leela. And so that that's the span of the story. That's why I thought we were going to get back to that, you know. Mm. There's so much story 
you know, it's it's such a deep story. I mean, I think why I was thinking about this, I was like, why do people love these stories? It feels like a memoir, but it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a historical fiction book that just feels like fiction. Like, it's so intimate, the writing, and you spend so much time with them in their lives, separately and together, that there's like a closeness to the story that I, I just don't know. I don't think it translated on the screen. Hey, Brandy, let's let's set the scene. Can you set the scene for us? Sure. So we are a few years post-World War II in a village slightly outside of Naples, People are poor. I mean, I think that that's a common theme through the through the series. People don't have a lot of money, and the folks who control the town are sort of Italian mobsters. But they they're they're on the low end of the totem pole for what we're used to seeing for Italian mobsters. It's like you can buy a car, so you are insanely rich, you know? <laughs> right. And we follow two little girls, Elena and Lila as they are sort of frenemies at first, they're both very smart in their class. We begin with them at six years old. These eight episodes follow them up until they're 16, which is sort of, you know, well into getting married off age in this setting that we're in. Um, And we see them grow from being sort of intrigued by each other to being really each other's support system, back to being sort of jealous of each other. I mean, they go through a lot of emotions. For me, I was waiting for them to go through like actual friendship. (laughs) I didn't really (laughs) see that. But again, we only go, we only span those 10 years during these eight episodes. Yeah, it was interesting with the poverty as I I actually was surprised at how clean everything was. Um, (laughs) In the settings, to be honest, I actually thought everything was going to look a lot worse because it feels very, very poverty stricken in the books. Not their socks. Their socks were not clean. Not for a minute. (laughs) But like the town square and everything, like, I don't know. I I was kind of surprised at how nice things looked. Yeah, I think like their apartment seemed reasonably spacious. Everyone looked well fed, even though you could really see, especially on the faces of the parents, just like years of hardship and I think that that was Mm -hmm. something I was really impressed with was just sort of the casting of this like wide swath of neighborhood characters because I know that they did go to that part of Italy and cast people many of whom were not actors at all but who spoke the Neapolitan dialect that they wanted and I was just kind of like wow they really really created a world that I that was absorbing the the setting and the world and all of that was some a space where I was intrigued to spend time for sure. I think my favorite thing about this series were the people in it, were their faces and the sort of diversity of faces. I, I every single face was an awesome face. Yeah, uh, I don't know how else to put that. Uh, <laughs> they're no, they're just amazing faces. They're not you know smooth movie star faces. They mm-hmm. look like they lived there then. Like I really felt a yeah. sense of time and place uh, so strongly. And you know the opening credits too. That's what like, I was you, gonna say. Yeah. Yeah, the opening credits are just wonderful. This series of family portraits. And at first, I didn't know who anybody was. But then, as you know, as things progress, I I never watch the opening credits for things, and mm-hmm. I watch them every single time because I just wanted to see. It was sort of like when I first started watching Game of Thrones and they would have all the places at the beginning and you're like, where the fuck is that? Like, you're like, who the fuck are these people? But I can't wait to find out. And they're staring into my soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, and they all, they all continue on. I mean, everybody that she introduces 
has a full arc. I mean, that's what's so crazy. It's like she must have planned out these four books because you think those people are throwaway people and then they mm -hmm. come back. I mean, you see that um, with Melina. So, you know, Melina, she's a widow. She has an affair with Donato and she's throwing stuff out the windows and you're like, okay, why am I spending time on this? What matters? And it comes back to everything. And then you start to see it in the children of Antonio and Ada what it's like to to have that on their lives, yeah. that stain on their lives of what their mother's gone through. And I, I think that's really where the magic of this story really comes from. And I would say I was not hooked after the first book. I think where it goes in the second book is you start to see the payoff. You're just not seeing the payoff yet of what all these threads that are starting. But there there is a payoff to everything. I, I really am impressed by her arcs. That scene where Melina is throwing everything out of the windows is and just just moaning so loud that the whole neighborhood could hear it, and it goes on and on and on. And I was just I was enthralled by that scene because I was like, I've had those days where I would just like throw everything out the fucking window and just scream and just not give a shit about anything. I mean you usually feel it in your heart. You don't almost murder a boy with a heavy iron that you throw right, out your right. That was a close call. <laughs> I was impressed that the show had the same pace as the books. Like, it didn't feel rushed. Like, everything... Like, that scene is really long in the book, too. And it, I love that it was long in the show. I mean, I think that, you know, it, the writer, Elena Ferrante, picked the director. She was like, yes, I want him to do it. And I think maybe that's what she was touching on is like he knew how to create that feeling of the world and to keep the pacing. I thought that was very consistent. I was so surprised when they started talking Italian. I was like, <laughs> shit, this is great. They're actually Italians talking Italian because I didn't know what to expect. So right. that's really awesome, except I don't remember who was telling me that the problem they had with this series was they had to watch it because like all the time they couldn't go off and do something else for a second because you know they don't speak Italian. I didn't say that to you but I did feel that because there was a couple moments where I sort of got distracted and like looked down at a text that I got or something and then I was like oh fuck like normally I would just keep watching but I gotta back this up because I have no idea what they were just talking about. <laughs> yeah that happened a lot to me yeah but the other thing I loved in that the scene where uh, Melina is throwing things out the window was, you know how your parents really embarrass you when you're a kid? Mm -hmm. I really felt those kids. Like I really felt for them. And, and I don't, I don't know if it's the acting or the directing, but I felt such sort of shame on behalf of the kids. Yeah. They're like, just get the stuff in the wagon. Let's just go. Let's just put it in. Yeah. Let's just go. Yeah, it, it's really, again, I think there's a mood to this series that is just so, so strong and perfect that you really can really get caught up in these stories. Especially, I think, the scenes with teenage Leela, like the little girl version of her is very good. And both of those little girls, I think, are incredibly good actresses for being like nine years old. But Gaia Garache, I think is her name, who plays Leela as a teen, she is a movie star. Like, she, I was just <laughs> floored by how good she was. And, you know, she's never been in anything before. And here she is, I feel like, just stepping onto the stage, like, fully formed stardom. And I wish I could say the same thing about Teen Elena, but... Oh, yeah. Ugh. Can we talk about yeah. that a bit? Because 
man, it's painful to watch her. Is she being directed this way to have no affect at all to just stare off into space and read her three word lines? (laughs) There's one scene where she is staring so blankly and then the narration goes like my inner turmoil was so what and I just started laughing because I was like inner turmoil (laughs) she looks like she doesn't speak the language like she looks like she has no idea what's going on and I know that the character is supposed to be a bit of a cipher and she doesn't have a ton of agency yet and she's really just sort of like not even reacting to things just taking them in but I thought the smaller actress who played her as a six-year-old did a better job of that than the teen actress I totally agree. I, you know, especially compared to the actress that played Leela, she felt really flat. But I also have to say that is the character. And I felt very frustrated with Elena for a long time. And then I can't remember which book because, of course, they're all blending together. But it's much later in the story. She finally fucking does something in her life. Instead of just (laughs) following Leela, like she's trying to just like hitch a ride on Leela's energy all the time. I mean, they hint at it, but it becomes more so, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to do well at school because Leela's learning Latin faster than me. You know, I mean, she's a little pathetic. It's it's an annoying, she's an annoying character to see the world through. I mean, Leela is entrancing and, you know, she's just, you just are drawn to her, but you know, Lino, she's she's uh, she's frustrating. So it was like, yes, the actress could be better, absolutely. But it was also like, this is the character, and this is when you're annoyed with her. I did like that they totally made her ugly and gave her acne because that's a big deal. That like Leela's looking more beautiful and she's looking worse, and like she goes to that island and literally everyone's like, dang, <laughs> that's in the books. But then she has to get glasses. So it's like a whole yeah. thing. Yeah. I did like that. She, ha- I like the way that they had her character have like, here's where she was confident and tan and live. And then she goes back to the village. And now it was like she turned pale overnight. Her face broke out, probably from the stress of her fucking mother. And yeah, her mom's these hard. <laughs> big old glasses that honestly, a lot of LA hipsters would kill for those glasses. <laughs> Well, also, I think they would kill for those beautiful linen dresses that everyone seems to be wearing. Yeah. Especially as they're teens, she had so many beautiful dresses, and I was like, weren't they poor? Where is she getting all of these? Yeah, it did feel like that was a little, like, they had too many dresses. And they just felt more poor in the books. I don't know. I was, like, really, just that that whole setting, I was like, hmm. But, uh, yeah, Leela, I mean, Leela is the character you're most interested in. I, and, and she's written that way. You know, she's, she's the light of everyone's life. But I, I, as soon as the, like, we first saw the girls, I just started, like, bursting out crying in the first episode because it's such an emotional story, the whole thing. And I think it really hinges on what happens when one girl gets education and the other one doesn't? And what happens when you're not able to develop your full potential and to really invest in your talent? I, I, what happens? Where does that go? I think I would have responded to that because I could see that the show was going with that theme. I like I could see that, but I didn't really feel it because all the scenes where Lenu is at school are like she's in hell. They're sitting in these concrete rooms doing nothing but listening to old, craggy white guys conjugate Latin verbs. I mean, 
I know that that's probably very historically accurate, but I'm like, this doesn't seem like something that a teenager would really be envious of. It sounds awful. And I just don't buy that kids that age would be thinking that long term about the doors that it could open. I think they'd be thinking like, this sucks. I hate school. Well, yeah. I will say it's pretty apparent in the books that maybe the the girl that got chosen to go to education wasn't the one that was supposed to be chosen. Sure. And that is, that is a theme throughout because Lenu does not appreciate it. And she just doesn't have that fire of curiosity that Leela does. And so that that is something that will play throughout. That's really interesting to hear that because I really had a disconnect on that. But the, the fact that it is actually part of the narrative, like that mm. actual situation, really makes me feel a lot better about the arc of the story because I kept thinking that. Like, why why are we doing this? Like, what's the point of this? And to have her shown as maybe not the best beneficiary is really interesting. Well, and they hint at it. There's like a line near the end of the last episode that's like, you know, is Leela really using her intellect for the right things? Because you start to see her manipulating very dangerous situations. Yeah. And it's like, it, it it is like her intellect misplaced. Um, and I know we're going to talk about the shoes because yes, oh, God. those goddamn shoes. What a what a symbol. Just, <laughs> the shoes are a symbol of her talent, uh, and they will continue to be. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert: more shoes coming. <laughs> oh, it's just one of those things where it's like this would really work for me if you didn't keep having the same fucking conversation about the shoes over uh, and over it, again. Yeah, and that's the book. They talk about the shoes a lot. <laughs> It's like, oh, my God. You're like, I remember. I, I remember that there are shoes. You don't need to bring it up again. I've got it. The shoes, they're very elegant. They're lightweight but sturdy. Lightweight but sturdy. I've got it. But but that that climactic scene where the really good- where Marcello walks in wearing yes. them. Wearing what the a, shoes. Yeah, what oof, a dick. What a douchebag. Yeah. But it's like he's owning those shoes, like symbolically owning Leela. Yeah, symbolically being inside her. Oh God. Yeah, when she when she leans down to put those shoes on. Yeah. So what are you guys feeling about Stefano? I'm just like curious. Like, what do you what are you feeling about him? You know, because he kind of he kind of comes in as a coup at the end. He grew on me until it seemed that he went back on his promise to make sure that not only that Marcello wouldn't be at the wedding, but that he wouldn't be involved in the business because I assume that like that's a bigger symbol that he's like not only allowed him to show up but that he's infiltrating their business mm-hmm i really wanted to like him i really wanted to have faith in him as like a genuinely nice guy who genuinely loves leela but i mean after uh eight hours of this hellish brutality and abuse i don't believe that any of these guys are ever going to turn out to be good guys. Right. Well, and even if he is, what a low bar to, to cross, <laughs> right? Like from yeah. our modern perspective, like, oh, well, he asked her how she was feeling and he didn't slap her across the face. So he's the one for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. He's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Some of the other guys, the really poor guys, Maybe they're nicer. I, it's hard to tell, really. Like Pascal. Like yeah. Pascal. Hush, mm -hmm. hush but then he turns all jealous. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. This was another thing that bothered me a little bit. And this is the moment when I said to myself, are there any rumors that Elena Ferrante is a man? (laughs) And of of (laughs) Of course course there are. are. Yeah. Um, of course. And I'm not trying, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, uh, uh, a woman could never write something something this complex. I'm saying that because I think this is what a man thinks being a beautiful woman is like, that all of these men are constantly just fall down in love with Leela. And I'm like, I don't know if I buy it quite. Like, yes, she's entrancing, but she's also incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I just, I feel like that's not realistic for me. Yeah, I do feel like that is over the top. I mean, she's kind of like, Leela's like your nightmare friend that's a little bit prettier and all the boys like her. And she's, you know, smarter and it's just really annoying to be her friend and go to the bar with her because no one's going to talk to you, you know, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But she's also antagonistic and manipulative and impulsive and everyone, everyone gets a comeuppance in this story. And yeah, you know, Lainu is painted very angelic in the first book, but she'll do some stuff that's not good. But I think it, it is kind of funny because it is all told through her perspective and it takes right. so long to see like the bad in her that it's almost like, it's like, is she writing it as a manipulative narrator of like, oh, I'm so perfect and look at my friend who's so annoying and how all these mistakes that she makes, oops, now I made my mistakes, you know? So that's interesting to think about in the writing style, but they will both be bad at times, <laughs> basically. I just want to know why they are framed as these, like, I don't know, like, like soulmate friends, because I just didn't actually see that. I don't, I mean, I don't have any friendships where the base emotion is envy, you know, like, yes, that plays into it. Yes, you're always going to be envious of the people you're close to sometimes, and life goes up and down, but like, isn't a friend supposed to be someone that you like laugh with once oh, in a while? Laughing. I saw some laughing in the last ten minutes of the last episode. So that was like nice. crazy laughing, drunken laughing at the wedding. But I was just like, look, I know these people have a hard life and they're dealing with some very serious things. But I feel like you know everyone I've ever known who goes through hard times. Also, you know, you laugh at a funeral. You start telling stories and everyone's laughing. And your friends, when you're in a really bad place and they come to you and make you feel better, if they really made you feel better, you end up laughing. And I'm like, I don't see any of that real female connection in the two of them. I think that was a weakness of the entire story. I agree. Is it like that in the books too? Yeah. It's just like they need, it's more like they need each other. It's like everything is so scary in their world that they're the only thing that feels safe. And I think that's the best way to think about it is like, they're so solid for each other when everything else is really scary. I mean, physically scary. I mean, God, it was so hard watching those couple, first couple of episodes, like when they, you know, he throws Leela out the window. I mean, it's just so hard. Yeah. And that, I mean, it was hard to read too. There's a lot of domestic violence in these books. So I think it's, I think it's a different type of friendship. I think it's not what we're expecting as friendship. It's, it's like a safety and a, an understanding of each other that a lot of other people don't understand, you know, like Pascal. Yeah. He's, he's obsessed with Leela, but he's never going to really understand her because he's just, Mm -hmm. and she's never going to really understand him. You know, he's kind of separate and he's kind of like that forever. I don't know. 
they're just they're like on the same wavelength I guess and they feel safe together that's really what the friendship is the relationship that I really liked was between Leela and her brother yeah I, I really you know when he when it early on when she's trying to figure out how to pay for going on in school and uh, her brother asks their father if he can be paid for his apprenticeship because he wants to give that money to Leela for school. You know, that was very sweet. And then you see over and over again, you see that they have a connection and they're looking out for each other and he's especially trying to protect her. It's, it's really nice to have a brother and sister in such volatile families. It's nice to feel like they do actually look out for each other. I think there were some scenes where I was hoping that it would go a little bit more like traditional TV. Like, I was kind of waiting for the moment when he would actually, like, punch their father back, you know? <laughs> and he does, like, stand up for her to their dad, but I was, like, really waiting for that, like, triumphant moment. And I don't think this is, you know, I don't think this, this is a show that's really going to give me that. But I didn't no. really want their dad no. to get punched in the face, like, a lot. All the, all the parents are so one-dimensional in their just misery and violence. Yeah. Except for maybe Lady's dad has a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like he dad. hits her, you know. So egged on by her mother <laughs> to yeah. do it. This is an exploration of really shitty gender roles. I'm absolutely 110. Mm. That that doesn't stop because it. Guess what? It's shitty for another decades. So it, you know it's really bad with the parents, but it's not that great with their generation. And it's probably not going to be good till the next generation. Um, it's interesting when she goes to the island and she's with the Satoris and they're kind of painted as more of this cosmopolitan family and they're more educated. You know, you've got Nino there. And then, of course, he's a creep, the dad, um, which is so hard to watch that scene. It just it goes on and on. Too. <laughs> yeah. It just won't stop kissing her. It's so uh, awful. Yeah. But see, that's another thing of like you, it, that scene is so long and it's so long in the book. And it's like, I feel like that's where the director nailed it. Like he let you be in these uncomfortable moments and made you sit there. And I think that's part of why people like these books. Like she takes you to these places and she makes you watch. Like you will sit here and watch this person go through this painful thing. You will watch Melina throw these pots out for like more pages than you think. Yeah. Like she's going to make you sit in their pain and be like, you will witness this. Oh, and you're going to watch the guys with their awful knitted bathing suit bottoms. <laughs> oh my God. The saggy bathing suits were, oh. amazing. were amazing. Absolutely incredible. The costume designer must have really had a field day with those because I just, it was just so gross. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, what do you guys think of Nino? Oh, my God. Again, it could be an L.A. hipster today, right? With yeah. the glasses, with the, like, what does he say? Novels don't accomplish anything. <laughs> you know who he was, right? You guys remember Lady Bird and the Timothy yes! Chalamet? He looks like Italian exactly. Timothy Chalamet. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of guy I would have been, like, so heartbroken over at age 15 for sure I don't know she's trying so hard and he's just well she's boring though like she's so mad that he like people don't want to like continue the conversation and I'm like girl you haven't said anything <laughs> no I know I definitely like watching the show I was like I don't remember the dialogue being this short but maybe it was <laughs> like I feel like Lena is always like yes okay no 
Great. The number Bye. of times. Please give me a super cut of the number of times someone asked her a question and she just goes, see. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, I was like, man, I don't remember. Did this woman never say anything? <laughs> because so much of the book is the really the narrative around the dialogue, right. which they kind of do with the voiceover and you get a little bit of it, but you're just not getting what was good about the book, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I should go to a bookstore and stand and, and read the uh, first few chapters and see what I think. See those god-awful English language translation covers? Like the first one's like the back of a couple getting married and like little kids prancing around. Like they're all like pastel colors. Yeah, they're pretty bad, the designs on them. I Yeah, I and but I will say it's a good end. Okay, so don't, don't, don't spoil it. Uh, you know what? I forgot how how awful the covers are. That was another reason that I got turned off of the books mm -hmm. because of the way the covers looked. Yeah. And it was just screaming to me, book group you don't want to be part of. <laughs> so... <laughs> After this, we're going to read Eat, Pray, Love and make a vision board. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I know. I read them all on the iPad, so I didn't have to look at the cover as much. But, uh... <laughs> I, I definitely wanted more out of the friendship. I felt disappointed at times. And then really when I finished it and I sat and thought about it, I was like, dang, that was a really smart story. That's all I can say. Like, I think I can't think of another book that starts at childhood and goes all the way through adulthood and is so enrapturing. You know, you're just into it the whole time. And where the characters end up, you could trace it back to decisions they made when they were kids or decisions that were made for them. And I, I think that's pretty smart. Okay, sold. I'm going to buy the book tomorrow and take it on vacation with me. Again, I didn't love the first book as much as I love the others, so I will continue to say that. <laughs> I was kind of wondering if I could just dive in at book two at this point. Yeah, you could. Oh, you absolutely could. They didn't, I mean, literally they kept everything in. There was nothing that was cut. I was like, oh, we're just getting every line in. Okay. That's good then. Maybe I'll do that. The story of a new name. That's the second one. So this is like Game of Thrones, right? Where the whole series is going to be referred to by the first book's name, even though the other books aren't called My Brilliant Friend. I think so. I right? Well, I think so, because with Game of Thrones, you know, every book has a different title. A Cluster of Kings, A Swagger of Swords. A Swagger know. of Swords. I feel like those are definitely not the titles. <laughs> well, it's close to any book. Those are the romance versions. Well, officially season two is happening. Great. And I I don't know, are they do you think they're gonna just be new adult actresses in the next book? Next series? I think so. Again, I read them all in a row, so it's kinda hard for me to remember, but I believe I don't know. They might keep these actresses, but they are gonna have to jump. I was trying to think, I was like, they're probably gonna have to jump to a an actress that's like in their twenties and thirties and right. then they're gonna go to the older. I mean there's there's so much more story. Yeah. So I don't know how many more actresses they're going to have to get for each one. <laughs> just keep we going. We need more actresses. It's a little like The Crown like that, right? Like they're just going to have to keep mm -hmm. recasting. I really liked Gaia Garache, though. I hope I'm saying her name and all of the names correctly. But in that final scene where she's getting married, I was just like, God, she's so young. And then I like look over and in my apartment, I have a framed photo of my grandparents' wedding day and she was 16 when she got married. Oh, and I was wow. just like, oh shit. Like I 
know, like, intellectually how young my grandma was when she got married, but this helps me kind of, like, all put it in perspective. Like, oh, she was still in high school. Like, yeah. (laughs) And I liked how young she looked. I mean, it really hammered it in how sad it is. But that was her only option. She had no other options. There's nowhere she could go. She couldn't work outside of her family. I mean, that was it. She just had to choose the man she thought would hurt her the less, the least. That was it. That's her option. And how fucking shitty is that when she was the smartest person in their school and she read every book in their library? It's fucking sad. I read something really interesting, which was that this this story is the godfather, but from the point of view of the women in the story who, you know, barely exist in the godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about the wedding that opens up the first godfather mm-hmm. film and, and the book where the princess daughter uh, of Don Corleone is married off. But it's really interesting to think about the, the full life that she was having, where in the book, the only purpose for her to be there is to get married off and then eventually sort of beaten up and, mm-hmm. you know, so... Yeah. I thought that was a very interesting way to look at it. These women have no power in their lives. I do wish that just once we could watch something about Italian people and have it not involve the mob. Right. I guess that's impossible. You know, they don't really refer to the powerful people in their little uh, neighborhood as the mob or mafia or anything like that, though, do they? I mean, they're just people who profited off the black market in the war and did some shitty things and got rich. Yeah. So there is this whole thread of kind, I don't know if you'd call it magical realism, but like Leela has like weird moments. Like there's the thing when she looks up at the pot and there's like the bullet hole in it. Oh, And like when yeah. she's up on the roof with the fireworks and she has like a dissociative experience. So that's like part of the books. And it is also weird in the books. I don't know if I ever really understood why it was there. Are we meant to believe that it's possible that she's the one who killed Don Achille when she was a child? It's hinted at. Yeah. It's, it is strongly hinted at. You never know who does. So. Huh. All right. Interesting. Because that little girl looked like a stabber. I can't believe that she <laughs> That little girl somebody. was so well cast. I thought she was so good. Like, I was like, yes, this is totally young, feral Leela. Like, yeah. she's fucking crazy, and I love her. I was okay with the yeah. fact that both of those actresses don't really look very much similar because they had completely the same just, like, aura about them. So it was, like, believable to me that it was still the same character. Yeah. No, it'll be really interesting to see what you guys think of the the next story because I feel like that's where it really gets going is the next book. You know, well, because they're older and they're doing more interesting things. You know, I mean, in like four years when they finish it, we'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do we know it just got a it just got greenlit, right? So right. we don't know when it's going to be done. Right. Okay, I've got some time to read then. All right. Well, let's wrap this episode up with another installment of one fabulous thing. Who's seen or read or experienced something fabulous lately? Well, you know what, Brandy? I actually have seen something fabulous lately. (laughs) When you bring it up like that, you know, I just come to mind. I really love The Favorite. It was so weird and so (laughs) great. You know, um, no sparkly headbands, but fantastic costumes. Amazing castle that was set in. And you have three powerhouse actresses, Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weitz. And it was so fun to watch them just act the shit out of this movie. It was totally fun. 
It's so weird and crazy, this movie. <laughs> just be warned. I mean, it's great, but just be warned. It is weird. I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I need to see it. Yeah. I'm going to see it again. Now that I know like the mood of the film, I think I need to see it again going in knowing that. So my head will be ready. I just think about that dance scene like every other day. It just comes to mind and it's just so brilliant. Like there's just so many great moments in it. And I've, I've just never seen a movie like it. It's really, really interesting. And Olivia Coleman. That's all if I'm she wins say. an Oscar, that would be great because it's such a weird role, but man, she nails it. I know everybody thinks it's like Lady Gaga's year, but I feel like Ugh. she has a chance. And especially since it seems like weirdly a lot of the really strong female roles are getting thrown into supporting, like including mm -hmm. the other two women from The Favorite, which again, I haven't seen it, but I've seen a lot of people being like, but they're leads. <laughs> yeah. Why are they in supporting for all these categories? And so if, if lead actress isn't super stacked, she could have a shot at it. People love her. In this role, I don't know, she just took it to the limit. <laughs> you just have to see it. I love it when people take things to the limit. So I am going to see it. When you could just add a palsy to your face, like halfway <laughs> through a movie, it's incredible. Oh, spoilers for the palsy. I was trying to figure out how they did that. It was great. I don't know. It yeah. was really great. And they just don't talk about it. It's no, amazing. it's never it's mentioned. Like, um, so My Fabulous Thing is also um, a recent film, but that's now on streaming. It's from You can actually watch it on Canopy. This is where, yeah. you know, I do a little library evangelizing like I like to do all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And it is Hearts Beat Loud, if people have not oh. seen this movie. This is what you want to watch if you're just feeling a little down. And you're just like, I need a little pick-me-up. It is so fucking adorable. And it's just like a movie about good people and their problems come from like not wanting to hurt each other <laughs> and like <laughs> how life just sometimes throws you these situations where no matter what you do, somebody's going to get hurt and it's really sad, but then it's also so upbeat because it's Nick Offerman playing a single dad to his daughter who's about to go off to college. They're both musicians and they record a little song together one day and he happens to put it up on Spotify and it happens to become a bit of a hit. And then he's like desperate for her to stay and start a band with him instead of going away to medical school. Aww, so cute. And she's just like, Dad, I got into UCLA. They live in Brooklyn and I, I gotta go. I gotta live my own life. And the music is so good. Like... Sometimes in these movies, the songs, or if they're supposed to be a painter, or they're supposed to be a writer or whatever, like, it's not actually very good and it's very distracting. Mm -hmm. I've been listening to the soundtrack of the original songs in the morning to, like, pet myself up. They're that good. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. So, yeah, it's okay. free. Everybody loves Nick Offerman. He's just like, mm -hmm. I wish he yep. was my dad. Like... I can't say enough good things about this movie, and I think it's getting very lost in the shuffle because it's not like a serious 2018 film, but I'm like, I think it's on my top 10 for the year, for sure. So, hearts beat loud. Awesome. Right. On my list. Um, so, let's go three for three. I've also got a movie to talk about, and that movie is Widows. Oh, yes. I enjoyed it. Yes, I enjoyed Widows very much. This is the new film from British director Steve McQueen. It stars Viola Davis, who is just 
she and Olivia Coleman could have an awesomeness throwdown, like and I don't down. know who would win. Yeah, exactly. It's a little hard to describe the genres in this film. It's partly a heist movie, but not like a funny Ocean's 8 kind of heist. Uh, but it's also a sort of a political thriller. And having lived in Chicago for 10 years, uh, the, the politics was kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got an amazing cast led by a group of women, Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, Cynthia Erivo, and Carrie Coon. And surrounded by this incredible group of male actors, uh, including uh, Colin Farrell, Brian Tyree Henry, so um, good. Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Robert Duvall. Uh, so anyway, it, it's it's an incredibly uh, gripping film. I was completely in it for the whole movie, just on the edge of my seat. It is also good payoff film also because you don't know it's kind of dark you don't know where it's going to go it's got some twists it's just a, an incredibly entertaining and incredibly beautifully done with the shorthand of a great director kind of film but i don't think enough people are seeing it so it's weird to me that it's not making more money i think it was like not marketed hard enough or something yeah I haven't seen it, but I've talked to a few people that seen it, and everyone was like, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think people were just like, heist movie. I think people walked out of it confused. I, I Like, three different people told me that, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll wait to see it, because I was really excited about it. And they were like, no, it's more of a serious drama. It's I not, thought it was really it's good. It's not an action movie. <laughs> it's not, but it's so tense. I mean, it's just one of those movies where you're just like, Bam, you're in the world and you are just like, I couldn't, I didn't want to blink because it was so tense. And the performances are all so great. I mean, just like extra shout out to Brian Tyree Henry because I also <laughs> saw um, a preview screening of if Beale Street Could Talk and he mm-hmm. has like a small but incredibly important role and he has like a very uh, emotional monologue in one scene where I was just like, this guy is incredible. Incredible. And he, obviously he's very funny on Atlanta, but I think like I'm really glad that he had a chance to show this other very deep side of him in these movies because he is, he. I mean, he should be nominated for shit. He's so good. I nominate Daniel Kaluuya for the most freakishly scary eyes. <laughs> so scary. Oh man, he's good yeah. too because I feel like I'm used to watching him be in roles like, you know, Get Out or that one episode of Black Mirror where oh, you're yeah. like rooting for him to get right. out. And all of a sudden I'm like, you're the scariest motherfucker I've ever yeah. seen. Oh my God, he's going to stab this guy a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, oh no, that scene was, oh my God. That scene, oh my God, I was like jumping into my seat every time he stabbed that knife. I mean, it's... It's a really good movie. It is a really good movie. I think it was sort of marketed like an Ocean's 8 type movie where all these women get together to pull off a heist. And it it is that, but it's so much more. And it is really a a dramatic thriller. Yeah. That does not disappoint. Which I love. They don't make enough like adult thriller serious movies anymore. I didn't even mention Liam Neeson. Oh, uh, uh, well, he's, <laughs> that's, that's the way I know the movie really is, like, so great, is, like, Liam Neeson is, like, the throwaway. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll definitely watch it. I just, uh, 
I think I got a little bit like, oh, well, maybe what is this movie? So, but I'll definitely still check it out. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Downton Gabby, Life After Downton. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Downton Gabby. Um, you can find all of our back episodes on iTunes or on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. And you can uh, find us on Facebook at Downton Gabby as well. Um, we would love to hear what you are enjoying as everyone's catching up with end of 2018 media. And we will be back in the new year. So happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays for me too. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy. Everything's so easy for Polly. Everything's so easy for Polly. Ancient strings that feel like speed to her, such mild grace, the monument of tacky gold. They smoothed her hair with cinnamon wave. And they placed an ingot in her breast to burn cool and collect it. Fate holds her firm in its cradle and then rolls of her tender paws to save her. Everything's so easy for Pauline. Chlorine, but she'll never be as clean.